Well, hello there. Fancy meeting you here. My name is Tommy Jones, and this is my podcast. So let's take a few minutes, talk about life, and we will see where we end up. Welcome to Off the Cuff. I'm glad you're here. Hello again and welcome to Off the Cuff. My name is Tommy. I'm your host. As always, it's a pleasure to have you here. So glad you have taken this time to join with me in a conversation. So here's here's what I think I want to talk about with you over the next few weeks. And I'll probably throw in a few bonus episodes here or there just to sort of change it up. But there's a conversation I've been wanting to have And I haven't really known how to do it or when to do it or if it's something I should do on Sunday mornings, but I think this is probably a pretty good avenue for it. And the conversation I want to have is I want to talk about theologies that I would question. I have no, so let let me, let me explain. There are certain strands of theology or uh, interpretations of the gospel that I would tend to question. Uh, to maybe uh, examine or think a little deeper about or maybe even reject. Now, this isn't about like denominational differences or anything like that, because I think uh, I think every denomination thinks they have, you know, the way figured out, and the odds are that none of us have it exactly right. But there are some forms of theology that have surfaced, especially in the last few years, it seems like they've become even more prevalent, that I would um, be careful with that I would examine, that give me pause. And so I have no desire to do this over the next few weeks. I don't want to tear down the church. Um, I don't want to drag the church through the mud. I don't want to say, I think it's become popular to like say, oh man, the church is so bad or blah, blah. You know, you've got, you had a, a podcast out called um, The Rise and Fall. I think it was called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill or Who Killed Mars Hill, whatever, about Mark Driscoll, which was a super fascinating podcast about the dangers of a mega church. And I thought that guy did a really good job of looking at um, multiple angles about what happened at Mars Hill. Uh, there's a There's a show out right now about Hillsong and all that kind of stuff. And I probably need to watch those episodes and maybe I'll even come share some opinions on that. But I don't want to drag down churches or theology, but there are certain things that I think we should examine and be aware of. And so the three branches of thought, the three sort of theological branches that I want to talk about over the next few weeks, I'm struggling to really find the right words for these things because they are, I guess, versions of the gospel, but to me, they're not they're not really the gospel. And so the, the three things I want to talk about over the next few weeks is this. I want to talk about prosperity doctrine. I want to talk about progressive Christianity and a progressive uh, doctrine and progressive theology. And I want to talk about Christian nationalism. And these are sort of the three things that I have seen that have seemed to pervert or twist or manipulate the truth. And the fruit from these three particular strands seems dangerous to me. And so that's why I really want to talk about them. Again, this is not like a, a Baptist challenging a, you know, assembly of God person, because I think you can see fruit from both of those things. If there's differences in, there's certainly different. I, I grew up Methodist and there's differences in Methodism versus different uh, other denominations. But I think we can at least see how we arrived in those. And most of those differences I don't think are dangerous. And I think you can see positive fruit even amongst the differences. These particular things that I want to talk about over the next few weeks, I think are actually doing damage to the gospel. They seem harmful. 
especially in in the case of of progressive Christianity. We'll talk about that. That that one is maybe even the most dangerous, although Christian nationalism is pretty bad. But the one I want to talk about first, the one I want to spend a few minutes on today, and what I want to do is give you an understanding as I have it. Listen, there are far better sources than me on these topics. There are books written on these things. Uh, there's uh, there's other podcasts. You, if, if Maybe what I'll do is give you an appetizer, and then you'll want to go find more, and I certainly would recommend that. But the one I want to talk about today is the prosperity doctrine. And what I'm going to give you is my understanding of the prosperity doctrine. Some of the things that I think are dangerous about it, uh, some of the some of the, what I believe are, are things we should pause or question or or maybe even reject. And then maybe you can go on your own. And then maybe you'll also know how to spot it. I'm also going to give you some pastors who kind of push this movement. Some of the pastors behind the prosperity doctrine would be like Joel Osteen. Um, he's big into that. Kenneth Copeland is big into that. Creflo Dollar is big into that. So these are some of the the pastors who, and listen, I'm not saying these guys are um, not Christians. I'm not saying that, you know, that they're, I don't know, that they're heretics or that they're going to hell or anything crazy like that. I'm not questioning their soul or their salvation. I don't know any of those things. I'm saying there are aspects of the theology that they seem to put out there that seem incredibly dangerous to me and at odds with the actual good news of Jesus Christ. And so before we begin to discuss these other uh, versions of the gospel, I think we need to start with this. What is the gospel? You got to know what is before you know what's not. And so where do we even get the term gospel? The term gospel comes from good news. Um, We see this uh, term used throughout the Bible. We saw it in the Old Testament. I think it's in Isaiah. Uh, We see it multiple times, but the term gospel simply means the good news. And so what is the good news of Jesus Christ? The good news is this. Christ uh, came to earth to save sinners. Uh, that you and I were created in the image of God, but we chose sin and our free will created sin in the world. Uh, our, because we chose to rebel against God, all of us are fallen. All of us stand in need of a Savior. And so Christ came from heaven to reconcile us back to God, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could once again stand in the presence of a holy God. Christ died on a cross. Three days later, he resurrected, defeating sin and death. He ascended into heaven. He he sent the Holy Spirit. You and I now have the Holy Spirit. And one day Christ is coming back again to make all the things in this world right. That's the good news. That's a very short version of the good news. And so I would start by saying this. For someone who really wants to examine these different strands of theology, the first thing I would suggest is reading your Bible. Um, most people who seem to fall prey to these things like prosperity doctrine and Christian nationalism and, and progressive, they don't really know the Bible. Or maybe when they read the Bible, they come to the Bible looking for what God wants to say to them first. And I think as, as we begin to study the Bible and as we begin to think through these things, the first thing we need to do is not decide uh, what that letter or what that verse meant to us. It was what did it mean? What did the intended author, What did the author intend for it to mean? What was the intended meaning of that passage? When people are studying the Bible, if you just open it up and read something and say, what does this mean to me? Sometimes it'll mean to you whatever you want it to mean to you is sort of where we end up. You can end up playing what I call Protestant bingo, where you just pull out verses and say, oh, this means this or whatever. So if you're really going to get in there and you're really going to study, you're really going to understand, start by uh, taking the time to study what did the author intend for this to mean? How did the original audience interpret this? So let's, let's talk about the prosperity doctrine for just a minute. 
The prosperity doctrine sort of centers around this idea of blessing. Uh, if you read the Bible, you're going to see a tremendous talk, tremendous amount of conversation around blessings and curses. Uh, for those people who follow the will of God, for those people who are obedient, there are blessings. For those people who do not, there are curses. As a matter of fact, that's the whole story of the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is the blessings and the curses around the nation of Israel, which was God's holy chosen people. And so there is certainly a um, an understanding, a communication from God through the Bible that for those people who are obedient to God, for those people who follow Him, for those people who organize their lives around the rule and reign of God, uh, for you and I now and in, in, in after the coming of Christ, for those of us who give our lives to Christ, there is blessing. Now here's where the prosperity doctrine comes in. They take this idea of blessing and sort of change it. They seem to pervert it in some ways. Um, it's almost as if their idea of blessing becomes this sort of name it and claim it thing that we've heard about where, uh, you know, if you just have enough faith, if you just believe, then God will give you everything you want. And that the blessings the Bible talk about talks about are those things like health, wealth, and prosperity. And if you have enough faith and if you obey God in the right way, if you give in the right way, like if you give a certain amount, a certain percent, then God will bless you. If you pray in the right way, if you think in the right way, then God will bless you with material things here on earth. And that those people who belong to Christ, we should somehow receive more. That we should have more wealth and, and, and you know, uh, be healthier and that things like disease shouldn't bother us. And if it does, it's simply because you lack the faith to experience the health, wealth, and prosperity that this doctrine seems to promote. And so it's, it's strange in so many ways. Um, as, as a matter of fact, if the prosperity doctrine would seem to say, if you don't have it, it's because you haven't asked for it. And if you asked for it and you still don't have it, it's just because you didn't ask for it right. Um, as a matter of fact, here's a, here's a quote from Creflo Dollar, who's one of the big prosperity doctrine preachers. When we pray, believing that we have already received what we are praying, God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. It is a key to getting results as a Christian. That's interesting, isn't it? God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. So if I pray for wealth or health or whatever, and, and I pray it believing that we've already received it, then God has no choice. So if I pray the right way, then God must give me this thing that I am praying for, these blessings that I am praying for, because this is what it means to be a blessed person, that we have health and that we have wealth and that we have, a pros that we have you know, prosperity in everything we do. Well, let's talk about a few obvious issues with this idea. Number one would be this. This doctrine only makes sense to people who live in the West. I mean, imagine a Christian in sub-Saharan Africa or a Christian in China who's meeting in a small home church or a Christian in, in you know, Saudi Arabia who is meeting privately and they're barely scratching together enough resources to have a Bible. Does the idea of this material possession prosperity doctrine make any sense whatsoever to Christians who aren't in America? Or are they simply in their situation, in their desperation because they don't have enough faith? That's... What? Of course not. That doesn't even make sense. And so that's 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 one issue that I think 
should cause us to pause and, and question these things. And do you ever notice how so many of these pastors who align themselves with the prosperity doctrine are absolutely filthy rich? Like I saw this video on, on Kenneth Copeland where he was explaining why he has these private jets. And his basic point was this, that God needed him to have these planes so that the mission of God could be carried out. Well, that sort of even limits the power of God, doesn't it? God, I wish, I wish that I believed that God needed me to have a, you know, $2 million duck club and a $75,000 truck. And uh, what else would I like? Oh, a brand new bass tracker, like a a $35,000 boat to carry out his. I wish I believed that. I wish that were true. It's obviously not. Uh, God doesn't need any of those things for the gospel to be carried out. But this is sort of the message of the prosperity doctrine, that God needs these ultra-wealthy leaders of these churches to have these amazing things so that God can carry out the gospel. That's, I think that should cause us to, to pause. If there's ever a pastor asking you to donate a set amount to something, and he's guaranteeing that for those who do it, you will receive back material blessings like money. Like if a pastor says, I, I, you need to donate right now. I'm, I'm, uh, God is telling me that you need to make a $1,000 pledge today. And if you do that, God is going to bless you abundance in your bank account. Guys, if you hear that, you should pause. You should pause. That's dangerous. That's dangerous doctrine. What's another issue I would have with this prospect? Another issue I would have is if you look at the lives of the people who followed Jesus the closest, they didn't seem to end with health, wealth, and prosperity. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, of the apostles who, you know, the disciples who gave their lives to following Christ, almost every one of them was martyred. Horrible deaths. One of them was filleted alive. I, can, I have filleted so many fish in my life. And I, I'm guessing some of them may have been alive. Oh, now that I think about it, it's sort of cringy. But I cannot imagine being flayed alive. Um, one of them was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified like Christ. I mean, they went through these horrible... I mean, the guy who wrote Revelation was on an island by himself. And he wasn't on like a tropical island sipping margaritas in a mansion. He didn't have health, wealth, and prosperity. Uh, as a matter of fact, the guy Paul, who was Saul at first, he seemed to walk away from health, wealth, and prosperity for the purpose of fully following Christ. At one point, Jesus is walking around with his disciples, and he's like, man, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And so the blessings that God promises us don't appear to be material blessings. Now, can God bless you materially? Yeah, and I've heard amazing stories of people who God has done amazing work in their finances and God has done amazing work, you know, with different areas of life. Can God bless you with your health? Yeah, I believe healings are still possible. That's probably a whole other conversation for many many of you guys who, who may not agree with that. But I believe God has the power, the ability, and oftentimes the will to heal people physically. I believe healings can happen, and I believe faith plays a part in that for sure. Um, I believe God can can bless your work and bless the fruit of your hands. So I do believe all these things. But I think the blessings that are promised for those people who follow Christ aren't material blessings typically. So let's say, what would a blessing of, of prosperous work look like? I think God could bless the prosperity of your work by bringing purpose to your work, by giving joy to your work, 
by allowing you to do your job as unto the glory of God. I think all of those things would be blessing. How could God bless your finances? How does God often bless? I will say God has blessed my finances by allowing my finances to have purpose, by allowing my life to not be governed by money. I don't believe that God has um, just, you know, put thousands of dollars in my bank account because I, I tithed or because, I, you know, I gave some set amount. I believe God has sustained us and taken care of us. But there's many people who, who probably tithe and, and then go broke. That can happen. There's people with great faith. And we talk about it in our health. How does God bless our health? I think God has given us breath in our lungs and life, but we live in a broken, fallen world where there's disease and where there's death and where there are all these things. And so we aren't guaranteed that our health is going to be, you know, uh, perfect our entire life. But I think the blessing in that is even if we lose our life, we spend forever with Christ. And so we're blessed. I mean, if, if I die today because of some horrible health issue, I'm still blessed because that wasn't the end of my life. And in that, God has given me health, wealth, and prosperity. God, God has said, forever, I'm going to take care of you. If your health in this world fades, you have forever with me. And one day I'll have a resurrected body and it'll be perfected. So yes, I've been blessed with long-term health, meaning one day I will have a resurrected body. Wealth, I will share in the riches of the king. One day in this life, I have joy and I have peace and I have hope. I'm blessed with the richness of knowing Christ. Man, what a joy. What a blessing. I have wealth beyond all measure. And my Father has prepared a room for me in His house. Wow, that's wealth. In the Father's house, there is a room prepared for me forever. Forever. I will bask in the richness of glory of my God. That's wealth, my friends. Now, it doesn't mean if I give $10 today, I'm going to have $1,000 in my bank account. That's the prosperity doctrine. The truth is, the gospel truth is, the good news is, no matter what happens to me in this world, I will share in the riches of my Father. For, for a life given to God, God will prosper that life. And what's that mean to prosper that life? It means that life will be used to propagate and promote the good news of Jesus Christ. You may see someone who you're like, man, they're, they don't have, they're not prospering. What do they got? I mean, they don't have a lot of stuff. They don't have boats and they don't have mansions. Well, what if God is prospering their life by allowing that person to be used to make the name of Jesus famous? And so I think gospels or, or you know, um, doctrines that promise material possessions and promise material wealth and 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 that we are you know the blessings we receive are things that can be spent and bought and sold man i think that's a dangerous gospel i think it's dangerous i think it's a dangerous gospel to convince people if you only have enough faith you'll never have disease i've seen televangelists uh, sit on television and just you know you know just have enough faith everything you ask god wants to give you and god is a good father and everything my daughter asks for is not necessarily what's best for her or my son and so it's not something i, I give them now, again, God has the ability to do anything in your finances, in your work, and in your health. And Yes, yes, yes. We live in a broken, fallen world where there's sin and disease, and God is operating inside of these things, and occasionally He intervenes for whatever reason. But I don't think He intervenes based on the fact that you made a, that you sowed a, you know, a $19.99 seed once a month. Now, should you be a, a, a faithful giver? Yes. Should you faithfully seek God in all situations? Yes. Are there blessings that come from these things? Yes. 
But if the blessing you're seeking is a blessing you could get without God, then maybe that's not really the blessing God wants to give you. So when I, when I see doctrines or theologies that center around your health and your wealth and your happiness, and it's, you know, I'll do all these things to God because God is going to do all these things to me. I just, I'm not sure that pastors, and this is not to knock anybody, and there's amazing pastors out there, so I'm not even, I'm just not sure pastors were ever meant to be multimillionaires and like internationally famous. And it seems like so many of the prosperity doctrine pastors are that. I'm just not sure that's what's best for us. I think there's a point uh, for pastors where it's easy for our um, our charisma to outpace our character. And I think when that happens, we're in a dangerous place. And so when you see these you know, pastors promoting this doctrine of give, 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 and all this stuff about, you know, God wants to give you everything you want, and they're flying around in their jets and uh, uh, you know, going to meetings in helicopters— I think we should have pause for this. Again, not pause on on their soul or pause on their salvation or whether or not they're Christian. I, I think God can work all that out. But pause on whether or not this is really the good news Christ intended for the world. And is this the example of the humble Savior who came to save the world? I'm just not sure that's what it's all about. I don't know. Think about it, guys. I'd love to hear your response on this. Maybe some of you don't feel this way. Shoot me an email, tommy at thegracechurch.net. Uh, over the next time, I, I don't know if I'm going to do this in one or two, but we'll come back to Christian nationalism and then we'll come back to progressive. We'll either do them together or we'll do them in two separate. But uh, I look forward to those over the next few weeks. And again, I'd love to hear from you. I thank you so much for spending this time with me. And I hope I've given you something to think about and maybe you learned a little. Uh, maybe this will cause you to sort of listen or dig a little deeper in your faith. Again, the number one way uh, to know what the real thing is, is to get in there and read your Bible. Get in there, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Dig into the Gospels. Look at what happened to these people. Read the book of Acts. Dig into these things. Do some studies. Try to understand uh, how the first audience would have interpreted these things and how the author intended for it to be interpreted. Think through these things and do it inside community. Um, but it's interesting. I, I love you guys, and I love these conversations. And uh, again, I, I, I'd love to hear from you on this one. Hope to talk to you guys again soon. As always, thank you. This has been Off the Cuff. Jones out.